Hello and welcome to Dream Nation. And each month I bring you a new guest, usually a creative or an entrepreneur that is making a difference in the world. My podcast centers around diversity, women, social impact, funding, and dreams. This podcast is created as a way to help people live their dream, as a way for you to figure out what you want to do in life, and also give you tips on how to fund it, advertise it, you know, get it out there. And uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast. It's Dream Nation Love because my sole mission is to spread love in the universe and teach people how to share it, how to find what they love and also find who they love. That's another relationship question that will um, be answered in a few other podcasts coming up. I'm really into talking about startups and relationships and how we all relate to each other as well. And I also have a really great merch store at dreamnation.io slash merch. You can check it out on the website. And I've got a lot of really cool beanies. I've got a lot of cool mugs, a lot of cool stickers coming up, a lot of cool totes, and some beach blankets for the summer as well. So I'll be updating the store as I go because the merch really helps the podcast get produced. So pick up a hat or two or five and enjoy the show. Um, this episode features Ashkanima. He is a really great human being in New York who is uh, the creator of Broadway for All. It's a really great nonprofit promoting diversity in film and TV. And I really love doing this podcast with him. So check it out and enjoy the show. I'm sitting down with Ashka Nima today, who is the CEO and founder of Broadway for All. And they're a really awesome nonprofit that promotes diversity in film, TV, and Broadway. They partner a lot of stars with kids and give them a chance to basically be on Broadway, be in film, and study acting. It's a really awesome organization, and uh, thank you for being here with me. Thanks for having me, Olivia. The question that I ask all of my guests is, uh, what was your dream as a kid? Uh, my dream was to be an advertising agent, actually. I remember loving Uncle Jesse on Full House and thinking about those jingles that they would always make in the basement with Uncle Joey. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to make ads for companies and marketing and big billboards. And so I think it's sort of funny to think about that childhood dream. And I feel like it's sort of still at work because uh, I'm going into producing as well. And I feel like a producer has to sort of know all the parts or be interested in many of the parts. It's storytelling, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're an actor as well. Mm -hmm. How did you get into it? I guess I had a really remarkable elementary school where we had, we had an incredible array of sports teams and drama club, etc. And it, it was such a positive school culture that we were encouraged to do everything. And I remember seeing a musical at my school when I was in fourth grade uh, called uh, musical Oklahoma, which we all know. And I remember running up on stage and like having the lead role uh, get off and, and get off the stage and, and, and continue in his stead. And I later woke up and realized I was having a dream about being on stage while watching Oklahoma. And so the next fall, I signed up for the school musical. Uh, and I was in it ever since for what, like four consecutive years. So it was my K to eight school, this remarkable social studies and English teacher, Mrs. DePong, who would put on the plays and usually put her own money into it because teachers were never given enough money for resources for kids and she just loved doing it. And uh, yeah, those were some of, like, some of the, the best memories of uh, K-8 school for me. I think having arts in school is so important. It is, it is 
even more important than possibly math, dare I say that, because people cannot be creative and they can't think creatively without being able to find expression and the freedom they find through acting, to have independent thought and to perform, and to just explore and play, which is a huge part of creativity, whether you're developing brands, jingles, or creating a story for film, you need to be able to feel that you can play. Agree. And there is not enough play in schools now. Yeah, it's funny because whenever the schools talk about the arts, it's always, at least in New York City, there's this really stupid, terrible term called enrichment program. So it's enrichment, you know, two days or three days uh, after the school day is over from 4.15 until 5 o'clock. And it's like, I would challenge them to make the arts integral to the whole week and to have a block of theater class and a block of dance and a block of visual art and to say that's not radical, that should be the norm. It's not, you know, in an acting class you usually have three hours and that establishes bonding for the class, that establishes time for warm up and time for play and that will solve a lot of after school programs too. Absolutely. Where kids can hang out for three hours and just jam together. I agree. And I think we always think about the arts as, you know, this like creative process and the means for self-expression, but you can actually introduce academic rigor into them as well. Um, you know, whenever you're teaching theater, and I remember teaching theater at a charter school in Harlem and talking about uh, Greek and Latin root words so they can figure out some of the theater terms that we use. And that was a whole lesson, you know, on, on language, um, which I, I would say may rival some, you know, English or <laughs> or other uh, linguistics courses later on, you know. So true. So, so you did acting as a kid, and how did that lead you to come up with the idea for Broadway for All? So the idea for Broadway for All is based on my experience, right, coming from a Palestinian-American Muslim immigrant household. We grew up with very little money, and I always say I was lucky because I lived at the cusp uh, I was within a one-block cutoff for one of the best Chicago public school districts in the city. Uh, and I mentioned that school before, it was a, it's a K-8 to school. Uh, and there I was able to go to school with kids from many different racial and ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and it was there that I saw a world that was entirely different from what, what I would see when I would go home to my apartment with my family. And I really do believe that those experiences going to your Korean or Jewish, you know, friend's house for dinner and having parents who would somewhat supplement like the parental involvement piece for me because my parents were either busy working or doing their duties because they're, you know, immigrant parents trying to make ends meet. And so I was very fortunate to have those people there to sort of shepherd me and to be my Sherpas, if you will. And so I really believe that this pluralistic multicultural environment in my formative years from K to 8th grade uh, is what set up the trajectory for me for the rest of my life. And so in creating Broadway for All, um, we always think about giving, like, you know, educating the, the poor black or poor Latino kids in the South Bronx and let's send teaching artists to those neighborhoods so those kids get theater. But I think that model is still prejudiced because you're still segregating kids uh, and you're not putting them in an environment where there are 
multiple diverse perspectives where they can learn from one another. And so I say, you know, it would be a public service to have a black or Latino kid from the South Bronx meet an upper income kid from the Upper East Side or Upper West Side and a service to those kids from the Upper East and Upper West Side who should be privy to kids who are completely different from them and to have a chance to meet them and to form relationships and, and how wonderful for those kids too from the Upper East Side and the Upper West Side to meet um, kids who they otherwise wouldn't be privy to before going to college perhaps and that's, it's too late. You know, we always talk about preference among peoples not being rooted in racism and I always argue whether you think it comes from racism or prejudice or not, it certainly comes from somewhere. And I think it all comes down to what a casting director told, told me is similar attraction law principle, you know. So what happens if you take a kid's worldview and you shake it up and you expose that kid from a very young age to people who are starkly different and similar in, in many ways, which they soon find out training in a rigorous conservatory together. What happens when you take a young white kid and you expose him to the issues uh, surrounding diversity on Broadway and TV and film and then have them feel that gut punch you know, in their stomach saying, hey, my friend who's black is amazing and I love making theater with him. Why are you telling me that it's harder for him to get a role than me? He should have a chance just like me. And so um, it was that experience as a kid um, around many, around, it was that experience as a kid being around kids from all walks of life that I think uh, crafted me into who I am today, if you will. That was the best kind of schooling. Diversity and pluralism is the best kind of education one can receive. I think it's all about opportunity and giving everybody a chance to grow. It's about creating conservatories for people where it's not segregation, because even the kids that go to college say go to Stanford. Stanford is not that diverse, you know? So everybody ends up having a separate path. And there has to be some kind of an intersection before or everybody can get a similar chance, perhaps. Right. You know, like, nobody's gonna create that. We have to create it ourselves. Absolutely. Because people are not even, people are not even thinking the way you and I are thinking. The fact that we're having this discussion is rare. The fact that I'm doing a podcast on diversity and the fact that you have Broadway for all is still rare when you look at the rest of the world. Yeah, it's rare. And, but what I'm finding, though, is whenever you have discussions with people, no one's disagreeing. I mean, I'm sure you can agree. No one dis you haven't met a lot of resistance, per se. Neither have I. I I've, I've met a lot of support. And then the question then, you know, still begs, why, why are not more people doing it? So this leads me to my next question of how do we get more diversity on screen and behind the camera, which is usually a funding-related question too, right? Because you need funding to build schools, you need funding to make movies, you need funding to hire a crew. How do we increase diversity on screen? I think your smarter uh, media networks like Netflix, uh, Hulu, and Amazon have figured it out. I forget who said it, but someone from one of these big media companies had said, the days of hiring the MFA and screenwriting are over. We're now looking for people with real experiences and real stories to tell. And I think people are now seeing that, you know, I think anyone who argues that you should be more diverse or create roles for people of different backgrounds because it's the right thing to do and it's ethical, those kinds of arguments are always destroyed because 
and as well they should be because it's show business and we get the business part. But I think a lot of the producers, not all, right? Because I've met some really revolutionary forward thinking ones um, who are doing some of the great work we're seeing now, but still a large majority are part of this old establishment who are basically following a formula to create a work because they have a 90% guarantee that if they mix A, B, and C, they'll get this, this result and have some financial success or at least a return on their investment. And I think now with TV shows like you know, Atlanta, right, on FX, rem remarkable show. I, I can't stop watching it. Uh, I've even rewatched episodes of my friends who haven't seen it before just so they can watch it. And How to Get Away with Murder and Hamilton. And I think we're now seeing that, we're proving that diversity isn't good just because it's the right thing to do. It's good because it's the right business move. You're going to have a lot more interesting stories and characters that are you know, far more three-dimensional if the world that your characters are situated in actually look like our world. You know, whenever I see TV shows with an all-white cast or a Broadway show with an all-white cast, I just think those people are delusional. I agree. I'm an immigrant too, so I moved here from Russia. So even though I'm white, I'm not really white. I'm from Russia, but right. I'm also Jewish, but I'm not really Jewish. So right. I feel like I'm Jewish sometimes, and I'm a Palestinian Muslim. Right. <laughs> I live in New York City. And all my friends know. are diverse. And I remember when I first moved here, I would sit and watch Full House and all these shows, and I never felt like I was a part of any of them. Like, I never felt myself reflected in any of them. See, I wanted to be them, right? So when I would watch Saved by the Bell, I wanted to be Zach Morris, right? I, I remember being a kid and dreaming of having blue eyes and blonde hair. Uh, and I remember being in high school and frosting my hair with like that, like that gold <laughs> mascara that was around for like two years. I can't believe I'm admitting that. That's amazing. But it happened, you know? But we think about institutionalized you know, racism and the effects on that as kids. Like how did I as a kid, and then I had a great, you know, like I told you, a multicultural perspective when I was a kid. Yet I still wanted to be a part of the dominant, powerful race, if you will. And I felt that as a kid because I wanted to be it. So I could have more power. So I could be more valid or more loved and more accepted. Well, it also opens up a larger market too. If you are creating uh, films with Latinos in them with just a diverse cast, you open up marketing to a whole different segment of people. Especially now with media, right? With these new media contracts like Netflix. It sounds like I'm, I'm advertising for Netflix, but you know, I read something recently that said, you can have a TV show that has a smaller niche market and it can still do well because of, because of your ability to have it distributed worldwide. And if you have enough people who are interested, it will survive. Right? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to have 8 million viewers on a network, right? I on one given night. I loved watching Master of None with my mom. Mm. I actually started watching it and then I called my mom and I said, Mom, you have to watch this because this is so similar to our life. Isn't that great? And she called me back and she goes, wow, this is such a great show. She's like, they really capture the immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because as a Russian Jew, I can relate to the Indian experience. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just about, it's just about emotions and experiences, right? Well, and, and, and even as like, 
I would even argue as an upper crust from the New England states. You can identify too because everyone knows what it's like to disappoint your parents. Everyone knows what it's like to feel like you're a failure and, and everyone knows what it's like to struggle and to try to follow your dreams and to have your parents not understand you. Yeah, and so I always argue, you know it's a great show when anyone, even non-immigrants, uh, can relate to this immigrant experience, you know. I always say, are you telling a story about immigrants or are you telling a story about the plight of the human experience which manifests itself in all forms? So speaking about an experience that manifested itself in the form of Broadway for All, how did you get it off the ground? Dreams are really hard to get off the ground. So I was really lucky because when I was uh, getting my MFA at the ART at Harvard University, the uh, university's president sent out an email for a public service fellowship and they award 10 every year to all, to all students across all schools um, at Harvard. And I remember putting up this uh, Theater for Diversity project in undergrad at Loyola which sort of uh, did the same thing where I brought kids from inner city schools in Chicago and suburban schools and had my peers at Loyola train them for a one week intensive. And so I said, what if we took this one step further and had a conservatory where we brought kids from all over New York City and beyond actually. Uh, we're now a national not-for-profit based in New York City. Uh, and what if we took all these kids from all over, from different walks of life, and gave them a conservatory much like the rigorous ones you see across the country, Stage Door Manor in Interlochen, and hired people currently or recently, um, having worked on Broadway and TV and film. How can we contribute to this new diversity pool? And so I applied, and with the help of uh, the ART, uh, giving us access to the production of Porgy and Bess to, for our kids to go see it. And uh, an actor from that troupe coming on board, and my friend Brandon, who's a musical director. Uh, my friend Samantha Eggers, who's a Mamma Mia, who I met uh, at Harvard, all came together and, and uh, uh, after I won this fellowship uh, to say, how can we get this to happen? I remember calling uh, a principal uh, at a New York City school. His school's on 50th and 10th Avenue. And I was in Russia, actually, when I got the, the email that I'd won the, the fellowship and um, that they approved my idea for Broadway for All. And I quickly emailed him and said, hey, I just won a fellowship to create this really cool idea. I remember be being at your school for a, a meeting when I was a teacher in the New York City Department of Ed. Uh, would you mind if we used it for five weeks? <laughs> because it's close to Broadway. And the whole conceit of our program is to get kids who live in the South Bronx or you know, in, in, in deep in Brooklyn to come to Manhattan to the Broadway Theater District every day with their counterparts from different socioeconomic statuses. And he's like, well, we're going to be here for summer school anyway, so why not have a positive program in a building coexisting with us and you can come use it for free. And I always say Broadway for All is here today simply because of the kindness of the universe. If you ask, and you ask enough and you're persistent. And if you truly have a mission that is powerful and that people know you're dedicated to serving, uh, I think you'll hear a lot of yeses. You will hear no's, but you have to keep going if you want it, you know? Well, the people that say no are the people that are not the right match. So you have to realize exactly. that. Exactly, and that's what I say all the time. I'm, I'm glad you're saying that. You know, it's like when I talk to people about fundraising, right? And fundraising, I think, I'm sure one of the questions will be, what is a challenge? 
and we can talk about that later. But even with fundraising, right, people say, hey, asking people for money and it makes me uncomfortable. But I always say, when you're approaching people for money, you have to look at it as an opportunity that you're actually giving them. So it's like, hey, you have some extra income that you're sitting on and I know that you're looking for something meaningful to do. And I have a great project or a great idea for you to either donate your money or invest your money in. And here's one option. Is this a match with your desires? And if not, great. It was fun having coffee with you and, and maybe we can hang out and grab you know, a, a tea later or something. But it's, it's on to the next one. And, and I think we get so fed up hearing no. I guess because I'm an actor, I'm used to hearing no. And so I always say maybe actors should also go into fundraising because they've mastered the art of accepting no and still moving on, you know. I think that's what acting does, but I think that's also what advertising does. So that's why sure. I can do startups because I'm used to presenting concepts, presenting whatever jingle it is, whatever storyboard it is, and then getting killed like 16 times before. Yeah. So you just build up a skin and you just go, okay, next. You don't even think about that. You just go, I can create something better. You don't like that one? I'll create something better. And you love it. So it's about, it's about just doing your thing and knowing that you're doing the right thing and finding people who believe in your thing. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> it's about finding your like tribe. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people don't think that people have money to invest. or They have all these preconceived notions. But there are a ton of people who have money and want to be a part of something. They just don't know what to be a part of. I agree. And also... We have resources everywhere. You know, you know, no matter where you are, or where you are socially or economically or what have you, we all know somebody who knows somebody. Uh, and as long as you are professional and you know what you're asking for and you know why someone should help you, you know, I think you'll hear a lot more yeses than noes. I think we're, we're always afraid to ask. It's like dating and being rejected. It's like, celebrate the noes. Celebrate the no's and have them say no early so you don't waste your time. Yeah. Right? Because you don't want to be six months into a relationship and go, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, so my next question is, what did you wish that you knew when you first started? How important it is. What I wish I'd known that I know now is how important it is to bring on people who understand infrastructure and organization. I think a lot of us creative types often struggle because we forget about the management part. And I have many theater companies in Chicago where I'm from that I adore that have had trouble because of money and, and business and, and operations. And I think we forget that part. So it's like you have to have a great idea but with that great idea comes great responsibility to, to execute it. Well, we need these forms sent out, and we need these things, and we need a system for this, and a system for this. Oh, and a system for this. But this system also requires eight systems, and those require two more. Who's following up on your email account that people at large email you on? Uh, if you have two people monitoring it, is there, is there a check system for that so no one's being answered twice? There's so much that goes into it. And I think what we end up doing is we like to dream really big and then to focus a lot of our funding on these big ideas, but then we forget. We also have to fund this logistics person and this person who's making your Excel sheet. And I would say to try to create a microcosm of your idea 
and really create and really devote time and money to marketing and media and and uh, and operations and logistics people um, to make sure that this idea is going to be uh, well supported for execution. I think that's where a lot of us fall short. I think as creatives, too, you get so excited and you start running with a ball, and then you're like, wait, I haven't created a goalpost. Wait, there's nobody managing the goalpost. I'm just running with this ball. I'm running on fumes. <laughs> running and, on fumes and with no this matter, ball. <laughs> and I think that's the thing, too, right? No matter how great your idea, I think everybody needs to know that your idea is situated um, on, on a very strong foundation. That once I give you money, I know that this venture isn't going to crumble because even if you currently don't have a lot of funding, I know that your bases are covered and that you have infrastructure in place. I always say it's infrastructure. And it's also a team. You need to make sure that all your players are playing and everybody's on the team and everybody is awake. And I would say that's one of our biggest challenges uh, is not having enough people on board. We just never have enough. And I would say we have so many people who email us and say, we'd love to help you, we'd love to volunteer, I'd love to give a few hours here and a few hours here. But someone who, needs, someone who wants to donate a few hours here and a few hours here needs somebody managing that, that donated time. And someone who wants to do this needs somebody to tell them what needs to get done. And so it's like, so you have me bopping around all over the place, and that gets really hard. And we're, we're very lucky to have two other year-round employees who work on a, on a mostly volunteer, part-time basis. But even that's not enough. And so the problem is right now, like where we're at right now is, you know, we've been funded by some really wonderful corporations and we're, our budget's in the black, which is very exciting. And we're, we're really thriving after five years uh, and in such a great place and we've seen such great impact as an organization. Uh, but where we are right now is we need our first development director, a full-time person committed to development. Because everyone who meets us says, you should win every grant and prize under the sun. But we need somebody to find those grants and to you know, find those foundation uh, opportunities and to follow up and to apply and to, you know, that's, that's a separate art form in itself. And so it comes down to the chicken or the egg. You know, how do you get your first grant to hire a grant developer if you need a grant developer to get it. You know? I know. Uh, now you're going to have like 3,000 people emailing you about uh, wanting to work for you as a grant writer. I hope so. <laughs> I, I always say it's going to be so easy to get our first grant and then the rest will keep pouring in. And that's the other thing too is once, you know, I will say that, you know, this project, one principal says that he liked that the project came from Harvard and that he liked that his kids could have access to that name and people who went to that school. And, and I, think, I think people just want to know that you're vouched for. And so once one corporation came on board and gave us a big gift, we then had three other large corporations come on board and say, well, hey, how can I help too? And so I think people just want to know that you're secure and that their donation is in good hands. And so I think you know, when you're starting out, you need to do a really good job to make sure that you're operating uh, in the most professional way possible and that you have a small infrastructure even if you haven't even piloted your project yet. That's actually the most basic thing of fundraising. Once you have somebody to sign on, it signifies success. So other people just sign on auto automatically almost. 
It's a very common thing in fundraising. So I have two more questions to ask you, and then it's 402. And Aljet, what are some of your success stories? Uh, what's really remarkable about Broadway for All is that we always say our goal is to uh, train a diverse group of students across the country in musical theater, drama, and dramatic writing who will then have the skills they need to go off into the world as actors, writers, producers, creatives, and even artist advocates because as we know many people who leave conservatories will still go into another field and to say that's great and but we still want you to use that fire in your belly that you got at Broadway for All to always advocate for inclusive work for all people uh, and to not be colorblind, to be color conscious, to be disabled conscious, to be transgender conscious and gender conscious. Uh, we have three kids that made their Broadway debuts recently in Matilda, Finding Neverland, The King and I. We have one student who's currently playing uh, one of the older sons on Showtime's uh, Billions. And uh, our kids are working in commercials across the city and in various off-Broadway and tri-state area theaters. But I would say perhaps my favorite success story is one in which we were, we had our kids go see Fun Home on Broadway thanks to Fun Home producer Barbara Whitman. And there was a comment made from one of our students that some can take as like pretty foul and uh, homophobic. and. I remember hearing that after they saw Fun Home, the kids hashed out that problem together and made up and the child apologized and they're working together harmoniously. And I think about that social justice piece, right? So you're not just learn, learning from Broadway's and TV and films best, but that you're also learning how to be a good citizen. And you know, like we tell them you make the best art uh, through diversity of perspective, but you also become a better human being through diversity of perspective uh, and to sort of think outside yourself. So you're an actor as well, and you were in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt lately. You were also in All We Had, which was directed and starring Katie Holmes. Fun project. I bet. My question is, what's the greatest lesson that acting has taught you? I would say it all comes down to preparation. Uh, I learned this in grad school and I saw it manifest itself in the professional world. The more prepared you are, the more your nerves can be calmed and the more vulnerable you can be. And I believe the more vulnerable you are, the more creative you can be in your work. And so I think people will sometimes say, oh, preparation, you know, you can be over-prepared and you'll get in your head too much, and I think that's bullshit. Uh, I think you always have to prepare and really know, know what it is you're working with or be as prepared as you can be, you know. If you get a, a nine-page audition for a guest star the night before the audition, you're, you know, you, you're, you should be as prepared as you can be given the amount of hours you have for that audition or that premiere. So my final question is, what is your dream as an adult? My dream as an adult is to produce, write, and act in a TV series, which I'm currently writing uh, with one of my good uh, friends. And I want to write a show that is 
wildly entertaining, but also has the capacity for growth for all people, whether you know you're a Hillary supporter or a Trump supporter or a third party supporter, a show that teaches all people their capacity to, again, think beyond themselves and to practice empathy and to do better and to always try to be the best version of themselves. Because at the end of the day, if you think about imperialism or countries still participating in ethnic cleansing, I think what we all want is feeling valid uh, and loved um, and worthy, you know? And everybody believes they're doing the right thing. That's why this world is so complicated. Well, and that's, why, and that's what, why I always say, you know, when you look like me, sometimes you can play like the funny, you know, crazy people or you can play the villains. And the thing about the villains is people always think they're doing good, no matter what. I always say, I don't think anybody is born inherently evil. No, they all think they're doing good and that's how you play a villain. You become very convinced yeah. that whatever you're doing is the right thing to be doing. Absolutely. Because there are no villains. There are, yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in SAG too, but I don't do it enough. I really love it, but I like being behind camera and I really love script analysis. Same, same. And all that stuff because it helps me with advertising and storytelling and, um, and I'm a creative, I'm an artist. People are like, well, what, what are you? And I'm like, I'm a creative. I make things. I'm a maker and I'm a, yeah. person that brings people together. Well, and I think, I'm glad you're saying that because I think, you know, long ago, you think of uh, Matchmaker, right? Uh, which is now uh, Hello Dolly. And this idea of the person who had multiple business cards is, was essentially perceived as this charlatan, right? Someone who does a bunch of things but can't do any of them well. And I think we've had this resurgence to, to go back to this model where you can be a multi-hyphenate. You can be a hybrid. You can be an actor, writer, not-for-profit leader, producer, even own like a clothing company, which I'm thinking of down the line. And, and I think you can be good at all of them as long as you're passionate. And I think they all come from the same thing. And that's what excites me. I always say, you know, the day I start doing the same thing for the rest of my life, like, I'm ready to be dead. Kill me then. <laughs> you know, I always say that... Um Look at Oprah as an example. She's so inspiring to me. She's an actress, she's got a production company. Nobody told Oprah she should scale down and do one thing. Right. Oprah wasn't like, no, I think I'm gonna call quits after the show. I really think at the end of the day, and when I hire people for Broadway for All, whether you're a Broadway teaching artist or you are on our managing team uh, or people who I'll eventually hire for this TV show that I'm working on, is your sense of possibility. I need to know if I'm working with you that you believe that almost anything can happen. You have to dream big. You have to. You have to because there's no reason to dream small because right now we're dreaming small. You have to dream big in order to create amazing things. I agree. And if you end up falling flat on your face, at least you fell flat on your face dreaming big and with a great deal of integrity. And you always learn from when you fail. Of course you do. And I think, you know, there's, there's this, you know, culture on Facebook uh, to only say the good things that we're doing and, and to not let people see us become vulnerable. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of another you know, project where people can go on screen and to talk about 
those things which we all which we're all afraid of and don't want to talk about which everyone else is going through as well and so i just find that so strange that we can't come together for the things that we all have to deal with and rather pretend that they all don't exist or happen to us sign me up i will talk about all my failures since i was like 10 years old because they've all taught me things absolutely so i would i'd love to be a part ash i know you have to run yeah so you're a busy man thank you so much thank you so much this is really fun this was so much fun right yeah yeah. i love what you're doing likewise thank you i came to one of the performances and it was so amazing and the kids were so amazing thanks and i had such a lovely night thank you thank you so much please come and see us in action this fall we'll be starting our content creators actually so we're we're focusing the fall and the spring semesters to basically give our kids a little bit of seed funding a couple hundred dollars here a few hundred dollars here to say we don't want you to sit around and just talk about you know diversity and read articles we don't want you to just be actors and writers. We also want you to be, we at Broadway for All, we want our kids to become what we call artist entrepreneurs. And so we want them to get a camera. So we always tell our kids for Christmas or for Hanukkah or Three Kings Day or Diwali, don't ask for the new Air Jordans. Although I would probably say to ask for the new Air Jordans because I love my Air Jordans and my snapback hats. <laughs> but ask them for a camera. And if you can't afford an $800 camera camera, Ask your parents to buy you a used camera on Craigslist um, and uh, to buy you a, a used MacBook Pro and to start making movies. And even if it sucks, it's okay because you're going to get better. I, and what, what's exciting about that is you have your, our kids you know, who live in the West Village teaming up with our kids who live in Bed-Stuy and the South Bronx coming together um, to create. And so we, we call them our content creators. And I think that uh, when you get kids who dream big and uh, for whom diversity is normal, you know, where they don't really use that word because it's just part of their lives. I think that's setting our world up for some really good stuff to happen. And where can they find you online? They can find us at broadwayforall.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.